Revelation. What a joy and blessing. How do I know that? I know it's a blessing. I don't know if it's a joy, but I know it's a blessing because it says anyone who reads it will be blessed in um, it. Now, to interpret Revelation, now that's a whole nother ballgame, I, I think, because if you ask three different people, they're going to look at it three different angles, and I think that's one of the beauties of it because it hasn't happened yet. A lot of the things that are in Revelation have not happened yet, and where do we get the controversy? Well, we get it in um, chapters 5 through 19, just a little section of it, you know, like half of it. <laughs> so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 9 this morning. We're going to be talking about the 5th through 7th trumpets, so three more, also known as the three terrors. And in the three terrors, we have three plagues, lots of threes, lots of sevens, and lots of one-thirds again this morning. Some of the symbolism there we, that we know is the one-third would be a partial destruction. The seventh would be pointing to sanctification. And um, threes usually have to do with God. Uh, there, it's a judgment in this case that's been given out from, from the Lord. Is our God weak? No, he's not weak. But do we live like our God is weak? Because a lot of times we want to take care of the situation. A lot of times we want to be the one that's in charge. And it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And it says that often in, in Proverbs. It says it in chapter 1 as well. But uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So why is it wise to fear someone you love? Well, that's a good question. Well, first off, I think it's because he's all-knowing, right? He's all-knowing, and so anything that we say and do in this life, he could use against us in his court of righteousness, right? He could, but if we choose him, he chooses not to, which is a blessing and just amazing. And that just blows my mind away. He could, he could use our thought life right now against us. And he could hold us accountable for our actions, right? He is a power, he's all-powerful. Nothing can hurt God because he created everything. So nothing in his creation can hate, hurt the creator. And that points us to the next point. He is the creator, if he chose to uncreate us, then we would not be. And that can be kind of terrifying in itself. And should be because he holds our life in our hands and could, could take us out of this world in a blink of an eye. He's also the God of the heavenly armies. He commands angels has many, and many people for his good. He is the commander and he is in charge. So if we listen and obey his commandments, it goes well with us. But if we don't, well, well, what's it called when someone disobeys an officer in the army? What, what would we call that? We'd call it insubordination, wouldn't we? And that there's consequences if we were in today's army and we were insubordinate to our commanding officer. We better have a very, very good reason to be so, or else there's going to be some very, very harsh consequences, especially if the order was 
the more important the order, the more severe the consequence. And I think that goes with our faith. The, the more faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we need to be in step with him and less insubordinate um, because he calls us to um, listen and obey. But praise God for his grace because we don't always listen. Praise God for his mercy because we don't always obey. And praise God that he does love us. But since we have a loving God, a lot of people may say, and it, there's the arguments made for it in Romans, if should we just then go on sinning? Because we have his grace and his mercy and his love. Well, I'll ask you, I'll answer that question with another question, much like Jesus would. Does a soldier continue to be insubordinate to his commanding officer? Well, no, you don't. You, you don't get a chance. And so if we continue down that path as we go, um, so we don't want to be sub- insubordinate to our Heavenly Father. And I just remembered something, mothers. Um, where are the flowers at, Jordan? You can bring them up? or They're in the back. So um, when you, we get down, there's a flower for each one of the mothers. And then if there's plain left over, I'm sure the, the little ones and the others that want a flower, go ahead and have one as well. So praise God for his grace. Praise God that he loves us. Should we keep on sinning because he is a God of mercy, a God of love, and a God of, full of grace? Absolutely not. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, it says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who discipline us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Wow. Let this be a lesson to us that God disciplines those he loves. Second Peter 3 2 says he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. He has a desire to have a relationship with all. That is so important. It's a reminder that I keep bringing up through this series in Revelation because a lot of these people have turned their back on God and they have no desire to have a relationship with him. But we have the opportunity to continue to walk in that relationship. So now is the best time to turn back to God. Now is the best time to walk with God if you're in there. And in Revelation, we see the result of sin. The earth and all creation, they're in a bad way, and God has come to hit the reset button. Has God ever done this before? Has God ever hit the reset button on creation, on man? Absolutely has. You see it in the, the story of Noah. You see it in, on a lesser scale with Moses, with David, and with God's people as they walk through and many times walk away from the Lord. He calls them back by disciplining them with other nations around them. I just every time I say discipline, I think of Lilo and Stitch. 
Does she discipline you? Oh, yeah, it disciplines me at least three or four times a day. That's right. Um, it's always, it always starts with a call to repentance. Before God calls us to his discipline, he calls us to repentance. Turn back to me, turn back. And then finally, God says, enough. And that's the last chapter. That is the end. That is the book of Revelation. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it goes. Enough. The lamb that was slain starts by opening the seals and then the trumpets. And with the trumpets, with the trumpets, and regardless how it's going to happen, whether it's in succession or in continuation right on top of each other, we've talked about the first four trumpets in Revelation chapter 8. And it didn't look good because God, he's either terraforming the earth again, taking it back. He's saying he's leveling the mountains back, which maybe he brought them up when, when sin came into the world. I don't really know. I wasn't there. Jesus was. So I'll wait and I'll ask him when I get there. So, But this is also similar to the plagues in Egypt. We talked about that quite a bit last week. And those similarities are that God separates his people from the Egyptians. And so in the first four plagues in Egypt, the Egyptians get the gnats, they get the flies, and so do the Israelites. Why does he do that? He wants to remind them that they need to call themselves out and be separate. Get rid of your idols. Get rid of sacrificing to these Egyptian gods. They're not near as big as I am. And if you don't do it, there's going to be cause for you to be in this punishment as well. But they do. They get rid of their idols. They set themselves apart as holy to the Lord. And God honors that by separating them out from the plagues clearly pointing that these are God's people. And he does it once again here in Revelation chapter 9. And so where we're going today is God is calling us out of sinful, a sinful lifestyle. He meets us where we are in relationship with him. So I ask you, where are you with your journey with him? Some of you have been journeying with the Lord for, for many years. You paid off your due card, and you're, you're good. You're, you're solid workmen. Uh, some of us are, are thinking about joining, right? And that's a little bit of union talk, but it's, it's very similar, right? And so as we keep going on, we read this in Revelation chapter 9, 1 through 12. Now, before we get to, into this, I've heard from more than one, Revelation is very confusing. Good. It's very confusing to me, too, because if you knew how it went, then I would have you come up and preach, too. It, is, it is, can be very daunting. My encouragement to you, if you're having a hard time with Revelation, is to go back and read the Gospel of John, right? Because it's the same author. One, you get to hear John's style. You get to hear how loving Jesus is. But is there a wrathful side of God as well? Absolutely. And that's what Revelation is. And so when you read Revelation, sit down and read it as one chunk. Because it was a letter. 
to the church to encourage them to keep going. Read it as one reading. And the nice thing about that is Revelation likes to define itself later on in the book. And as you read on, you'll, re- you'll recall, oh, that's what he was talking about in chapter 4. That's what he was talking about in chapter 7. Oh, I understand. And it starts to make the big picture helps these le- little details go through really well. So if you're having struggling with Revelation, um, that's one way to look at it. And remember, God wins. God wins in the end, right? So that's, that's the most important thing. So Revelation chapter 9, 1 through 12, reads like this. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And when he opened it, smoke poured out as through a huge furnace, and the sunlight and the air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or the plants or the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, so he's calling them out to be separate. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain, like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, God's people would seek death. And those people, in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads. Their faces looked like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. And they had tails that stung like scorpions for five months, and they had power to torment people. This king is, their king is the angel from the bottomless pit, and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. This is like the plot of the Avengers right here, just so you know. Um, you know, if, the, if he was described as purple, then we'd have the perfect bad guy right there, right? So, just to say there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. There's the stories that we get in Hollywood or anything, they all come from something that God's created and how he's going to end creation, right? So, Satan is given the keys because you look at this, the star that has fallen is a reference to Lucifer, Lucifer was one of the cherubim around the throne. He was the most beautiful angel. He was set apart in this beautiful robe, and he desired one thing. A lot of people say that Lucifer's job was to funnel and make sure God got the praise. And pretty soon he started to siphon off a little bit of that praise into himself and to to where he wanted it all. And... That's exactly how he tricked Adam and Eve. You could have it all. You could have it all. If you just believe like I believe, you could have it all. Well, where do you get these things? How do I know this? Well, if you look at Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel 28, and chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, that's where you kind of get Lucifer's story, okay? Um, There may be more in other places, but those are the ones that you get in 
the canon that we have now. So smork, smork, it's a it's a combination of things, I guess. It's mostly smoke. It pours out and blocks the sunlight, and the air turns dark. Then out of the smoke come these locusts. And I say that they're little demons for, of which we have not seen the likes. I don't think we can go and look at this description and say, well, these are, are hornet missiles and, and rockets and helicopters, and they, they might be, they might be, but I don't think so. I think they're going to come out of the pit of hell. They're going to be something that we've never seen before, and they're going to be just amazingly tormenting. That's all right. So as we get going along, there are these little demons that come out. They torture them for five months. Is five significant? Absolutely. The number five, it points to man. Where do we see this a lot? The, one of the best five stories in the Bible is in John chapter five. I know it's crazy. And you got, you got the guy, he is invalid, he cannot get into the pool, and he's underneath a colonnade of five, right? And it points to the man not adding up, not being whole, man needing something more. And so that would be where we go to six. Six is um, the number more, more to do with grace and redemption, Five can do with grace as well. And so we see this in this story. It says, man beside the pool in John chapter 5 in the five colonnades, God stops the punishment after five months, which is a blessing. Could you imagine being stung constantly with scorpion stings? How could you sleep at night? You would only be able to fall asleep in exhaustion. And you'd wake up probably because you got stung again. I don't think I like that. The locusts, the locusts will be nasty little devils that we don't want to have to face and we don't have to face because God's called us out. God's called us to be separate. He says his people will be separate from them. And praise God, he's calling us to repentance now so we don't have to face this in the future. Much like we see in the seals where he separates his people, again, he separates uh, his people once again. Now we can escape this judgment if we repent of our sins now and we listen and obey God. God's calling us out of a sinful lifestyle and he meets us where we are at in relationship with him. So I ask you, where are you at in your journey with him? Let's continue on in Revelation chapter 9, 13 through 21. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and i heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the golden of the gold altar that stands in the presence of god and the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet release the four angels who are bound in the great euphrates river and the four angels who have been prepared for this hour and this day and the month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on the earth and i heard the size of their army which was 200 million mounted troops. 
In my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow. The horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouth. One third of all the people on the earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes and the power to injure people. But the people did not die in these plagues still are the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of the evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor talk or walk. I guess it's walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts because they were their own God. The second terror brings the three plagues. And again, we see judgment fall down on the earth. We see a grand army of 200 million with the horses, the heads like lions. And they release the three plagues, and one-third of the population will die. Now, we've already had a third of the population and if we kill off another third, does that mean we have a third left? No, that's not how it works. If you kill off a third, you're left with 66%. And then of that 66%, you kill another third in a sense, right? So surely, here and now, they see that God is God. And these demons came from the pit of hell. So they're going to turn from their devils they're going to turn from their sins and they're going to turn to the Lord, right? No. And that's the thing that breaks my heart. I think I see that even somewhat today. We see God calling us to repentance. And we don't want to turn from our sin. We don't want to turn from the things that we like, that we enjoy, that we they give us pleasure. And some of those things aren't bad, right? There's things that we can get pleasure out that aren't sin. Well, there's plenty of things out there that we put in front of God or that are just flat out wrong, like murdering and witchcraft and uh, sexual immorality or their thefts. So they can't see the truth. They have a hard time seeing the truth, and they don't repent. And even today, the world is so turned upside down from God's word, they can't see the truth. I can even see some of my Christian friends try to justify the culture into the church because they don't know God's word well enough. They see that it looks good on paper, it sounds good because... The crowd is saying it, but they don't measure up against God's word. And how does that work out for Joshua and the Israelites as they go into the promised land? They've just taken down Jericho, and they see this little town of Ai, and they're like, ah, just, send up, just send up like 600 troops. We'll be fine. They're nothing compared to, to what happened in Jericho. We can take them on. And they come back with their tail between their legs 
and they're in trouble, right? What does it say in there? Why were they not in trouble? Because they didn't consult the Lord, right? How many times you walk through the Old Testament and you were like, oh, it's not going to turn out well. He didn't consult the Lord. You can almost predict it after that point. It's a foreshadowing what's going to happen the rest of the Old Testament. How's it work out for Peter when he doesn't consult Jesus? It doesn't work out so well. Jesus rebukes him. But then it works out really well, right? Because he has the Holy Spirit. And he dies just like Jesus said he was going to die. So we need to seek the truth. It'll go well with you. And like we see here, man is still defiant. They say they will not submit to God. In a sense, they become their own gods and they're worshiping themselves. Well, do we see that today? Or maybe as a better question, of course we see that today. Where do we see that today? All right. Prepare for the stomp on the toes. I'll try to do it gently. My good friend here, Mr. I, phone. You know, it's, notice it's not called you phone. It's called iPhone because it's about me, for one. Two, it comes up with a report every Sunday morning. Not only am I going to get convicted, but now every Sunday morning I'm going to see my report on here that says average weekly report. It's actually down 12% from last week. I'm an average of seven hours and three minutes a day that I've been on this phone. Seven hours a day. And I, this week I've not been reading a book on my phone. So is that convicting? Probably is. Now I can say, well, I have to do, yeah, yeah. I can make all excuses in the world, right? But if I happen to look at those stats, I know what app it's going to tell me is my number one app on there. It's going to say it's Facebook. And it's going to say that, uh, that I spent time on Facebook. And what is the most common posture for us when we look at our phone. Is it like this? No, not very often. No, it's like this, right? High schoolers today, junior hires, you about run them over because they're not paying attention where they're going because they're looking to see what all their friends are doing. What they want to know is how many people are going to like their status. Did anybody else like my status this week? And it could be a give and take of that. I'll give a little bit to, to get a little bit, you know. But my posture is one of submission when I'm bowed to my phone. So what are we or who are we worshiping in that instance? We're worshiping ourselves because we want to see or we're worshiping our community many times. Perhaps we can't see God because we can't see past ourselves. So God is calling us out of a sinful lifestyle. He meets us where we are in relationship with him. So where are we or where are you at in your journey with him?
I'm knocking it down 12%, but I still got a long ways to go, right? I don't think I was in my Bible for 12 or 7 hours a day. And I question that stat, but it is what it is. Um, let's continue to move on to Revelation chapter 10. We're going to read the whole thing. Revelation chapter 10. And then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. And he stood with his, with his right foot in the sea and his left foot in, on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And then he shout, shouted the seven and the seven thunders. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Keep secret what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the, angels saw, then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand toward heaven, and he swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and and everything in them, and the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. And he said, There will be no more delay. And when the seven angels, seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will be happened just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice from the heaven spoke to me again, Go and open the scroll from the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, and I told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. And it was sweet in my mouth, but it, when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people's Nations, language, and kings. And if you look at the King James Version there, it says you will prophesy to, not about. Which I think is probably a more accurate translation. Sanctification will be complete. Once again, we see a finality, kind of like we saw in chapter 7, where... The last seal is open. Here we see the, the seventh trumpet is open. Things are coming to a culmination. This is one reason why I think these events are stacked on top of each other when the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet have so many commonalities between them. That's not to say that this is how it's going to be because we're all going to find out at the end, and I might be wrong. But here we see the sevens again. And remember... Seven speaks of sanctification. Well, what is sanctification? It's the walk in your journey toward holiness, to be like Jesus, to be like God, right? That's what sanctification is, to be more like Jesus. The process of seeking holiness is trying to be more like Jesus, and how do we know what we are to listen to and obey? Well, we read the Gospels right? And if you are new to church or you're new to reading the Bible, start with the book of John. And then try out Matthew, Mark, or Luke. 
These are the four Gospels. These are the stories of Jesus. These are the message that we need to know. And I believe this is what the small scroll is. Okay? So we also have the seven thunders. The seven thunders, you look up in the commentaries, and it's interesting because what do we know of the seven thunders? Is there any other place in the, in the Bible that the seven thunders are? There's, there's one place that it, it speaks something similar to this. And I think it's uh, Psalm 29, um, but it's not exactly it. So it says, don't write it down. So there's some things that we're not meant to know. There's some things that we're not supposed to know about this time, about this time of destruction, about this time of uh, playing back and forth. And we have an open scroll we have an open scroll there, and we are to know what is in the open scroll. So we're not supposed to know what the seven thunders say, but we're supposed to know what the scroll says. And I believe the scroll is the gospel message. Because I think everything hinges on Christ. Everything goes back to his story, his example of how we're supposed to listen and obey. That's why I encourage, read the book of John Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because if you don't know those stories, then uh, you don't really know Christianity. Okay? So we're supposed to know these things, and I believe we are to declare that message to as many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. We also see a giant angel. Now, this angel, many people say, well, this is a picture of Jesus, and it could be. But I think they would have said, this is the lamb transformed, or this is uh, Jesus and his glory or something. But John calls him an, an angel in this case, and so I think he is an angel for this purpose. Does he have some Christ-like, um, I'll say glories in a sense. Yes, he kind of does. But he's an angelical being, so there you go. So the angel is set apart for this trumpet and terror, and his right foot is in the sea and his left on land. And I did some research on this, and that generally means that the land and sea that you're supposed to go to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And I was, I was intrigued by that because he's calling to all the earth because you see that in the number four, again, at the top which is the symbolism to all the earth. Again, usually using the cardinal directions in that sense. And with the giant angel, we, we see he has a scroll. Again, the scroll, I think, is the gospel. And it says it's sweet in your mouth, but sour to your stomach. And that sounds about right to me. Because the gospel message, we hear it and we're like, yes, that is it. That is what I'm supposed to do. But when I go to apply it, the application hurts a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? Because we all have a sin nature. We all struggle with that. And so it sounds right, but it's hard to follow. So what is the gospel message? Since it's so important, I thought we would review since the beginning of time, God want, wanted to be in relationship with mankind. 
And in his perfect creation, he wants us to know him. And he wants us to know him. And he wants to know us. However, man sinned and was cast out of God's presence because he cannot be in the presence of sin. He is holy and separated from sin, so we have to go out of his presence. So, so he, he doesn't destroy us right then and there. He casts us out of his presence. However, uh, sin, there's consequences for it, wasn't there? We see the ground is hard to work. It brought about death. And it brought about um, pain and childbirth, right? Like, amen to that. But God offers hope that he would send a Messiah to rescue us from our sin. And so, as God searches for men to be in relationship with him, they turn wicked, and God's got to shorten their days. That's the story of Noah and the flood. And so he says, I will call out one tribe. And that's a story of Abraham, right? Which eventually becomes the Israelites because that would be Abraham's grandson, Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, right? And so he calls out them. He says, I'll call this one people to set the example for me and all the nations will know that they are called to me. And Moses, has he struggles with them. He says, don't forget your promise, Lord, to all the nations, not just to our people, but all the nations are going to know this. And he's like, they're wicked people. And then I'm going to destroy them. Moses says, no, 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 no. And then about two paragraphs later, he's like, go ahead. Just destroy him. God's like, no, 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 no. Don't you just remember what you told me? And there's this, this struggle that goes on between that relationship and God gives Moses help, right? And they continue on. And we see uh, it comes up to this point where the timing's right. Hope is in despair. And God answers by sending his son. He sends his son to teach us how to live. He sent his son to set the example of how to live and eventually die for our sins. Just like we, we read in Micah chapter 6 today. Do I desire your sacrifices? Not unless they're perfect. And the only one that was perfect enough was God's son, Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins. Because God the Father can't be in the presence of sin, God offers this, us the solution to death, for the penalty of our sin is death, or if we're still alive and we still choose God, it's his wrath, right, that we find here in Revelation. But right when we thought there was no hope, God offered up his son to die on the cross as a payment for our sin, and we have a way to be free from sin and death, and we realize that the sacrifice Jesus Christ did for us, we set our pride aside, and we ask God to forgive us of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, because without the payment of blood, there's no remission of sin. There has to be blood, and so what better way to remediate any of the sin 
is to have the perfect sacrifice, and that's what God knew would have to happen right when he created man. Did Jesus know it? Did Jesus know that he was going to have to die? Absolutely. He was right there with God at the beginning of creation. He knew that he was going to be the answer to sin and death. And he chose it with joy. That's what Paul says in his writings. He offered to do it freely. He saves us from God's wrath or death. And we realize that the sacrifice that Christ did for us, so we set our pride aside and we ask God to forgive us of our sin through the blood of Jesus. And we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. When we ask God to be Lord, that is the process of sanctification. So not only do we want to be saved from the fire of hell, which is justification, we want to, God to come into our lives and be the Lord of our lives. That's sanctification. And we choose to be more like Jesus on a daily basis. And sometimes we hit the reset button and we walk, turn around and we walk to him again because that's what repentance is all about. It's walking toward Jesus. And we believe that he will change us into his likeness. And we, we read God's holy word and we allow it to change our mind, our hearts, our soul, and our lifestyle to look like his. This is why we go to church. Because we have other people that are like-minded that want to be like Jesus too. And they spur us on in a way that we can be loving toward one another. To encourage each other in their faith as we would be encouraged by yours. Every time I come to church, I want to be encouraged by your faith as you're encouraged by mine. That's Romans chapter 1, I think verse 12, right around in there, give or take five verses, right? That's what small groups are all about, folks. We come to small groups to be encouraged by those around the table and to be encouraged by others. So I will ask one last time, God is calling us out of a sinful lifestyle and he meets us where we are in relationship with him so where are you at with your journey today? Have you ever surrendered to the Lord? Have you ever surrendered? Have you ever researched the gospel and said, is this a God I can serve? Because if you haven't, you need to do the research for yourself. And if you have, you need to discover, you will discover a God that is loving God that doesn't put up with our shenanigans, right? Shenanigans. But that's how God works. He refines us, and then he washes us white as snow with his blood, the blood of the lamb. And then when we turn away from him a little bit, he just cleans up our hands and feet, because that's what he tells Peter. He says, you don't need your whole body washed. You've already done that. That's what justification's about. The process of sanctification is fewer baths in between, right? God is calling us to that relationship. What are you going to do today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be in relationship with you. We thank you for the opportunity to come alongside and know you and have a relationship with you. 
Lord, forgive us when we turn away from you. We are prone to wander, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It is tugging on my heart every day. And if I don't get it in check in the morning, I'm in trouble by afternoon. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep us focused on what we need to do next. And also keep us focused on the prize of heaven and relationship with you, that we get to ask all these hard questions of you. Guide and direct us closer to you, Lord, as we seek you on a daily basis. Lead us and direct us as we go on this journey so we don't wander off the path. And Lord, we thank you for your love and kindness when we do, that you, was, when we, you offer forgiveness of our sin. Guide and direct us on this path, Lord, because we need you. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to do so. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your guidance along the way. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.